0: The Lord did make you all a blessing. Thank you very much for that, and uh, that song is Make Me a Blessing, and uh, these musicians are a blessing, and I appreciate them using their talents and abilities to honor the Lord and to be a blessing to us. Well, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Mark, Mark chapter number 10. We're making our way through Mark chapter 10. It's a longer chapter, but uh, we're getting there. And uh, today we're going to try to cover about 11 verses. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27 is where we're going to be today. And if you would, as you're finding that, uh, join me in standing for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 10, um, we're going to be covering verses 17 down through verse 27. We're going to read just right now, uh, verses 17 through 22. Uh, Mark 10, verse 17 says this, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running, and kneeled to him, and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, Do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying. And went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Lord, thank you for this service thus far. Thank you for uh, Miss Doris following you in Believer's Baptism. Thank you for the wonderful songs that we were able to sing. Now, Lord, as we look at your word, I pray that uh, you would help us to have a an attention, a focus on what you'd have for us today. Help us to put away the distractions of this life. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and help us, Lord, to submit to your speaking i pray these things in christ's name amen thank you. you may be seated the title of the message this morning is the poor rich man in case you ever need to know uh, i want to share with you a tip that may come in handy if you ever get stuck in a jungle and this tip is how you catch a monkey in the wild Now, it it actually is easier than you think it would be. All it requires is a bunch of bananas, and I don't have a bunch of them, I just have one banana here today. But you just need a bunch of bananas and a small cage. And surprisingly, the cage is not for the monkeys, it's for the bananas. And the trapper simply travels into the jungle, locks a bunch of bananas into a small cage, And once the monkey happens upon that cage and sees the tasty yellow treats, they reach their arms into the holes of the cage, but when they try to pull the bananas out, they don't fit. And despite trying different angles and methods, they they can't pull their hand out of the cage without letting go of the banana. And their mind is so fixated on the bananas, they don't even realize they're vulnerable to serious threats. Even as the trappers draw near and they see them coming, the monkeys refuse to let go of the bananas. The monkeys' failure to let go of the bananas ultimately leads to their capture. The monkeys' fixation on a short-term reward leads to an irreversible long-term consequence. Now what do monkeys refuse to let go of? Bananas. They want freedom, too, of course. But more than freedom in that moment, they want those bananas. Now, here in our passage today, we find a young man that wanted freedom, but more than freedom, more than deliverance, he wanted to hold on to his possessions. There are many who have, who have a lot in this world, but are missing the most important thing. I think if you were to ask what's more important to that monkey, if he had the ability to reason, and you said, would you rather have freedom or just a temporary, momentary pleasure of eating a banana? I think we would all agree that freedom is more important than one little banana. But uh, here, as we look at this man, this a uh, Poor rich man, we see a man who had much, and he was holding on to much, and we said, hey, would you rather be delivered and have spiritual freedom or hold on to your possessions? Obviously, we all know being delivered from our sin is far more important. And yet, he chose to hold on to his possessions. I think of the church at, in Laodicea, in the book of Revelation, who, who thought they had it all. The Bible says this, Jesus is writing to the church at Laodicea, and he says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. They thought they had it all, but the problem was they were missing the most important thing. They were missing the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, you say you're rich, you say you're increased with goods, you say you have need of nothing, but don't you know that you are actually wretched? And you are miserable and poor and blind and naked. You don't have as much as you think you have when you are missing the most important thing, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, at least the man in this passage in Mark chapter number 10 recognized that he was missing something, that he had a need. And so this morning, let's dive into this passage and look at this man in order to learn some things about our own lives. First, this morning, let's look at his description. What was this man like? Well, the Bible tells us some important aspects of this man. First, let's see that he was rich. Verse 22, it says this in the last words of that verse. It says, for he had great possessions. He was rich. He had tremendous treasures. In Luke's account of this same passage, we are told that this man was very rich. Those are the words of Luke. He was very rich. When I think of somebody very rich, of course, my mind goes to some of the men here in America. We have Jeff Bezos and now Elon Musk, who has been in the news quite a bit recently. But uh, even those guys, as rich as they are, still were not near as rich as one man in the word of God named Solomon. He was rich. Here's what he said. Here by his own words in Ecclesiastes chapter number 2, here's what Solomon said. He said, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. He said, I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. He says, I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. And he said, so I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. He said, also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever... Listen to this. Whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. So my eyes said, oh, I want that. He could have it. you see a Lamborghini, a Lambo driving down the road? I want that. He could have it. I want that huge mansion. He could have it. I want that yacht. I could have it. I want that island. He could have it. Whatever his eyes wanted, he could have He says, Whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them, I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. I I looked it up, and and I don't know how accurate this is, but in today's economy, Solomon's net, net worth today would have been calculated to have been worth hundreds of billions of dollars. You say, well, that's what these other guys are. That's the low spectrum of what people calculate his worth, his net worth was. Um, but many people believe it was worth up to a couple trillion dollars. Uh, maybe he could help with some of the national debt that we've been adding to since our current administration took over. Anyway, Solomon was very rich, to say the least. And uh, you say, well, these guys... Th- i could never have that type of wealth well can i just encourage you and remind all of us this morning that actually i'm looking at some very rich individuals in this room according to a 2012 study the world's average salary for those who are working i realize there's a lot of people who aren't working such as children and and uh, those who can't work but the average salary in this world in back in 2012 was $1,480 a month, which is just less than $18,000 a year for those who work, those who earn an income. And uh, we know that there are some who earn way less than that, and obviously some who earn way more than that, which equals the average here. But, But I would say that most of us who earn a salary here today would be considered very rich when you compare yourself with the average of this world. So, this man was rich. He had great possessions. He was rich because he had abundant treasure. But not only did he have abundant treasure, he also had abundant time. In Matthew's gospel record, we are told that this was a young man. So, he had abundant treasures and he had plenty of time. He had his whole life in front of him. And he had time, man, time to burn on himself. So, he was rich. But then I see he was also ruling. And not found in this particular record, but in Luke's record, we find him as a ruler. In Luke 18, 18, it says that a certain ruler asked him. So here we have this young, rich, young man who also also had power and influence. Everyone knew him. He had authority. He was large and in charge, and uh, he no doubt was driven, and he was good at what he did so he was ruling. You kind of start thinking about some of the things that people chase in this life. Possessions and power. He had it. And probably to the hilt. Well, we see he was rich. He was ruling. But thirdly, we also see that he was religious. In verse number 19, Jesus says to him, Thou knowest the commandments... Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And then he said this, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. So here this young, rich ruler was also a religious man. He was a moral man who had tried to obey the commandments. But as we will soon find out, he wasn't as good as he thought he was. But here was a man who tried to live a good life and obey the commandments. And and most of us have talked to somebody when we say, hey, do you realize that you're a sinner? And they're like, well, I'm a good person. I'm good. I, I've never killed anyone. I've never robbed a bank. I'm a good person. I, I'm even a member of a church. And, and I'm super faithful. And I and I do religious things. I give to the church. I, I may even pray. I may even do the rosary and, and, and do it often. I may even go to a confessional booth. I may do all these things, and I'm a good person. I I try to love my family, and I try to love my fellow man. I'm a good person. That's what this man was. He was religious. He said, I am good enough. So this guy had riches. He was a ruler. He had religion. He was totally set. And you would think he had everything he needed He had possessions, he had time on his side, he had authority and power, and, uh, you know, maybe to soothe his conscience, he even uh, tried to do what was right, but to his credit, he realized that he was missing something more important than all the things that he had. He felt a lot like Solomon did in, in Ecclesiastes chapter number two, and I already mentioned some of the things that he had, but it says... At, after all that, he said, and, and Solomon did, that I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit and there was no profit under the sun. He said, I had power. I had the ability, whatever my eyes wanted, I could have in an instant. But he said it was all empty. It was all vain. It wasn't the most important thing. Later in the... As in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, is what Solomon said. So what was this man in Mark chapter 10 missing? Well, he was missing something far more important than riches, rank, and religion. He was missing eternal life. He recognized it, and so he comes in uh, verse number 17, To Jesus and says, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Friend, you may have riches. You may have authority and power. You may have even religion, but do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you recognize that you are missing something? Do you know 100% certain that you will spend eternity in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ? You may have riches, you may have rank, you may even have religion, but you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ because that is the most important thing. This man here in Mark 10 10 had a lot of things, but he was missing something. And so, fourthly, we see that not only was he uh, religious and rich and ruling, but he was also running. Running and in a desperate attempt to obtain salvation and eternal life, he came to Jesus in a hurry. In verse number 17, and when he was gone forth into the way Jesus was, there came one running and kneeling, kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And you know, I, I, we read it like, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? I'm telling you what, whenever I'm running, even if it's from here to the end of this building, I'm out of breath. And so I can just picture this man going and, and running to Jesus and finally getting there and going, good master, while well, he was kneeling, good master, what, what, what shall I, give me a minute, what shall I...? he was a young man, so he probably wasn't as out of breath as I am, because I am officially no longer a young man after getting a senior discount at Taco Bell a couple weeks ago. But uh, so he probably wasn't as out of breath as I am portraying here, but good good master, what shall, I, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And so he comes in a desperate attempt to try to obtain something that is so very important. Now, I do want to commend him for his desire and for his diligence to get this particular aspect of his life settled. And out of all the aspects of his life, this is the most important aspect to get settled. There's a lot of aspects that all of us have to settle in our life. Okay, who am I going to use for internet around here and more? There are several options. OEC fiber is the option I would recommend. Thank you. There may be some other amens here. You're just not willing to say amen on a company that you have to pay. But anyway, uh, we have to decide, Okay, who's going to be our cell phone carrier? Who's going to be, you know, who are going to, what church we're going to go to? Um, Where are we going to put our kids in school? What am I going to do for a job? Um, Which am I going to be a member of Sam's Club or Costco or both or none? Um, things that we need to settle in our life. But I'm telling you, the most important thing that anybody settles is where they will spend eternity after this life is over. Because all of us will uh, pass from this life into the next. We need to be ready for that. You see, there was a sense of urgency in this young man's life about finding out the answer to the very most important question of life. and, And rightfully so. There should be some haste in our lives because there, there, there's not a guarantee of another day. The Bible says in Proverbs 24:1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. None of us are guaranteed another day. You say, Well, I mean, what could happen? I live in Oklahoma in May. What could happen? Yeah, we all know what could happen. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Yeah, there's been a couple days in Moore, Oklahoma that have completely changed people's lives who woke up that morning thinking all was going to be well, and their lives were completely turned upside down. Some of them even lost their lives. So, none of us are guaranteed another day, so we better be ready. Hebrews 9:27 says this as it is appointed as it is appointed unto men once to die but after this the judgment See just as we have a birthday we also have a death day And since we don't know when that day will be we need to be prepared for that moment Someone once said that we're not really ready to live until we are ready to die And this is an appointment, by the way, that you cannot postpone. My wife worked at a, uh, when we were in Montana, kind of very side, it was a very side hustle that basically she did it so that we could get free chiropractic care. And uh, she uh, did it, she did lunch and learns for the chiropractor there in Montana for other businesses to try to uh, promote this chiropractic business. And she did that, and we basically got free chiropractic care, and uh, she was willing to do that. Well, she had to go through all this training. One of the things that they uh, said is that, hey, if you want to live to be 100 years young, not 100 years old, then you need to go to the chiropractor on a very regular basis. And uh, we joke with our current chiropractor about that, and he's like, oh, I went through that same training, ha, 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 ha. Uh, But look, you can try to go to the chiropractor every day of your life. You're not going to be able to postpone the day when you die. You say, well, I'm going to take all these supplements, and I'm going to do all this, take care of my health, and I'm going to forgo soda for the rest of my life, which I'm not doing. But you can make all those healthy, conscious decisions, and I'm not knocking them. They're important. You need to take care of your health and be a good steward of the body and the temple that God's given you, for sure. But but look, you, you're, you can't delay the inevitable. The inevitable is that we all have an appointment with death. And, uh, you know, there's appointments that I don't like. I had an appointment this week to go to the dentist, and uh, I... Told one of the nurses as she asked me, "What do you have any allergies?" And I and I kind of said, "No, no, no." And I said, "Oh, actually, I forgot to mention I am allergic to dentists." And uh, and she actually laughed at that. And I was like, "Hey, I finally have a fan. <laughs> Somebody who actually laughs at my jokes because my family always goes <laughs> to every joke I ever say." Uh, but anyway, this. Look, I don't like going to the dentist, but uh, I knew, and I could, have, I could have called and said, you know what, I'm going to cancel this one. I'm going to postpone it. Can we just move it? Can we reschedule? Look, death is not one that you can reschedule. It, you cannot postpone. It, it, there, there is an appointment unto men once to die. And then after this, the judgment. And this man recognized the fact that he needed to take care of this. He needed to settle this matter in his life. And so he came running and kneeling, desiring to know what was necessary in order to inherit eternal life. By the way, there is never an encouragement in the scriptures to delay or postpone or procrastinate a decision to receive or seek salvation. This isn't something where you'll see in the Bible. uh, Behold, tomorrow is the day of salvation. Next week, once you get everything settled in your life, that's when you need to go Deal with salvation. No, no, no. Here's what you'll find in the scriptures in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse number 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So it's a current decision. Albert Barnes said this in his commentary on 2 Corinthians 6 2. He said, If people grieve away the Holy Spirit, if they continue to reject the gospel, if they go unprepared to eternity, then no mercy can be found for them. God does not design to pardon beyond the grave. He has made no provision for forgiveness there. And they who are not pardoned in this life must be unpardoned forever. So do you want that to be you? This guy didn't. He didn't want it to be him. And so he comes running with an urgency, with haste. comes running to the Lord Jesus to get this settled. And so if you're unsaved this morning uh, and you don't have eternal life in in heaven, can I encourage you to come running today, to make haste, to, to not delay, to hurry to the cross so that you can be saved? Because nobody is guaranteed another day, another breath. We need to be ready. This poor rich man, we see his description. But let's notice next, his delusion. In verse number 17, we see here it says, When he was gone forth of the way, there came one, one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, and here's his delusionary thought process, What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? You see, this man mistakenly thought that eternal life was something he needed to do something for, that there was something that he could do for it. Romans eleven six tells us, look, hey, if it be by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. It's a tongue twister of a verse. But basically, it's saying, look, it's either all of grace or all of work. And I'm thankful that it's all of grace. There are still people in this world who are delusional to think that somehow they can earn their spot into heaven by the things that they do. But listen, the reason that it's not by anything we can do is because when we get to heaven, it's not going to be about us and what we did to get there. It's going to be about Him and what He did to get us there. Alone, yeah. Ephesians 2 and verse number 8 says this, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Look, no one is walking around heaven right now bragging about what they did to get here. No one's, I'm not going to get to heaven and, and go around and say, Hey, good to see you here. I'm glad you're here. What did you do to get here? You know, what? before you go there, I'm going to tell you what I did to get here. You know, I was a preacher. I was a pastor. Before that, I was even a deacon in Montana. Yeah, I spent some time as a deacon. And before that, I was, in a, I was an assistant pastor in California for 15 years. And guess what? I was a youth pastor. That's why I don't have any hair. But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, and, uh, and I did all these things, and I read my Bible, and I did all this stuff. I told people about Christ. Yeah, that's why I'm here. So now, you ready to tell me why you're here? And he goes, well, I was a church member in your church, and so I did way more than you did. <laughs> I had to put up with you. <laughs> See, it's not about that. That's not a conversation that takes place in heaven the conversation in heaven if it if we have that is like hey what would you do to get here nothing he did it all yeah. i place my faith in him and 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 he res- deserves all the glory and he deserves all the credit titus 3 paul said this in titus 3 verse 5 not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration renewing of the holy ghost which he shut on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, it's nothing that we have done. It's everything that he already did. Sunday school teacher was teaching about getting eternal life. And he asked his Sunday school class, he said, Hey, if I sold my house and my car, had a huge garage sale, and gave all my money to the church, would that get me into heaven? So he asked that question to his children in his Sunday school class. No, the children all answered. He's like, okay, well, if I clean the church every day, mowed the yard, kept everything neat and tidy in the church, would that get me into heaven? And again, the answer was, no. Well, then, if I was kind to animals and gave candy to all the children and loved my wife, in that order, uh, would that get me into heaven? And once more, they all answered, no. And he's like, well, <coughs> thinking that they were a good bit more theologically sophisticated than I'd given them credit. Well, then how then can I get into heaven? And A five-year-old boy shouted out, you got to be dead. <laughs> OK, that, I guess that's accurate. you got to be dead, that's true, but you also have to place your faith in Christ. It's nothing we can do to earn our way into heaven. It's only what He has already done for us. It's not, our, it's not about us doing anything. Why? Because it's already been done. Salvation is not due. Salvation is done. Now, in the context of Mark chapter number 10... Jesus had not yet died on the cross, obviously. But salvation has never been about what we can do. It's always been about God's grace in our lives. You see, before the cross, people were saved as they believed that God would one day become flesh and be our ultimate sacrifice and die on the cross. And those after the cross, like you and I, look back to Calvary and trust that Christ paid it all. When he cried out on the cross, it is finished, he was declaring... That the price for the sin of mankind had been completely and totally and finally paid. It's done. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. Yes, even in the Old Testament. And yes, even for this individual that comes running to Jesus in here in Mark chapter number 10. And so we see his delusion. He thought that somehow he was able to do something to obtain and inherit eternal life. There was nothing He had to do. It was something that Jesus was going to do on the cross. But see, we see first His description, then His delusion. But thirdly, let's look at His decision. Verse 21, this young man is faced with a decision. Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest said, you've got everything, but you know what? You're lacking something really important. So go thy way, sow whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and they're gonna have tre- you're going to have treasure in heaven, so then come and take up the cross and follow me. Verse 22, and he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. There was an excitement, an enthusiasm, an urgency as he comes running to Jesus. But then as Jesus tells him and confronts him on some things, he goes away grieved. What was he confronted with? First of all, he was confronted with God's character. In verse 17, as he comes out of breath, uh, kneeling before the Lord Jesus and says, Good Master see, he was calling him good, and then Jesus turns it around in verse number 18 and, and doesn't say that he's not good. He just says, hey, why are you calling me good? There's none good but one, that is God. In other words, he's saying, look, are you saying that I'm God? Do you believe that I am deity, that I am divine, that I'm not just some teacher, that I'm not just some rabbi, but that I am the son of God? Do you believe that? See, he was confronted with God's character. Jesus reminds him that only God is good, which was a way of asking the man if he believed that Jesus was God. And we find a couple verses later that he sadly did not. Notice in verse 17, he asks him and calls him good master. And then after Jesus gives him that information in verse 18 and then asks him the question about the commandments in verse number 19, Verse 20 it says he answered and said unto him master well, what happened to good master now he's just master oh because you don't think that Jesus is god and he doesn't have that faith to believe that Jesus is the messiah the promised son of god i see He was confronted with God's character, the fact that God is indeed good. Psalm 34 and verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. Psalm 52, 1 says, Why boastest thou in thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. Psalm 135, verse 3, Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises unto His name, for it is pleasant. So he was confronted with God's character, that God is good. And it's a good thing to be confronted with God's character. But then he was also confronted with, secondly, God's commands. Verse number 19, Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Defraud not, honor thy father and mother. These are five, uh, five of the, la- the last five commandments. Um, Defraud not could also be considered one of them as well. So maybe the last six commandments could be encapsulated in all these. And these all have to do with others, our relationship to others. And as he is uh, confronted with, uh, with, his, with God's commands, he, he says, you know, check, 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 check. I'm doing these. I'm obedient. I've been, I've been faithful on these. I've observed from my youth. And again, we already know that he's a young man, so we don't know exactly how much life he's lived. So still, though, that's pretty good to say that I have observed from my youth. But there's one, there's one thing that Jesus didn't really deal with, and he 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 did it, he's an expert at at, at doing this. And so he deals with his covetousness in verse 21. He says, One thing thou lackest. I want you to go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you're going to have treasure in heaven. And then I want you to come take up the cross and follow me. So he's confronted with God's commands. And you know what? When you and I are confronted with God's commands, that helps us to understand who we really are. And that's what this man needed. He didn't need like, you know, hey, do you do this? Yep, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I'm a good guy. I'm religious. I try to help my fellow man. You know, I've been, I've been a good son. I've been good to my parents. I haven't stolen anything. I haven't robbed any banks. I haven't committed adultery yet. I haven't done any of these things. I'm, I'm a good guy. But when he was confronted with verse 21, it, it hit him right upside the head. He was confronted with God's commands. And so as a result, he was thirdly confronted with his condition. The law and the commands of God were designed To show us, not so that we would live, there's no way we can live by every one of those. It wasn't to show us necessarily that we had to live by all of these, but so that we knew we couldn't live by all of them because of our sinful condition. see the law and the commands of God were designed to show us our sinfulness and inability to keep all of the commandments. Galatians 3 and verse 24 tells us, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Um, we just had our graduation for Seth, and one of the things I mentioned in that graduation service was I wanted to honor one of the teachers in our school. Okay, the only teacher in our school. And I talked about my wife, and I thanked her for what she did to teach Seth. You see, one of the things that Julie was designed to do is try to, bring Seth to an understanding and a knowledge uh, so that he can move on in life. Okay, the law, the, the commands of God are meant to be our teacher, our schoolmaster, to bring us to a knowledge that we need a Savior, that we can't keep the commandments on our own. We can't be perfect. We need a Savior. And so this man was confronted with that. He's, he thought he passed the test in verse number 20 when he said, I have obtained all these from my youth. But then Jesus delivers the final exam and he blows it. He says I'm not willing to give up everything to follow you. Because I'm covetous. Because I'm selfish. And so he was confronted with his condition, but then thirdly fourthly here he was confronted with a choice. He had to make a choice. He could say, "Good master, He could have said, good master, I can't do it. Please forgive my selfishness and my pride. Help me with my sin. Please forgive me. But instead, what did he choose to do? He went away grieved. He came seeking, but he walked away sad. Why? Because he chose gold over God. Verse 22, because he had great possessions. So can I ask you this question? What is... It that is keeping you from following Jesus? Is it your possession? Is it some sin? Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? A sinful relationship? What is it for you? For this man, it was his abundant riches. He wasn't willing to give those up. And uh, this guy is known as the only man in the Gospel of Mark who was called to follow Jesus and chose not to. How sad. By the way, the Lord in verse 21 wasn't asking this man to do something that Jesus wasn't first willing to do himself. You see, Jesus was the ultimate example of giving all. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. This morning, I believe that there are some here who are confronted with the choice continue living. In my own richness, in my own religion, in my own authority? Or am I going to believe on Christ and say, you know what, all that stuff doesn't matter? I need eternal life. I need to take care of the most important thing in my life. There's a couple lessons that I want to leave you with today as we wrap this up. A couple lessons that I want to share with you. First, I want you to know and realize that Jesus loves you despite your condition. We kind of read through it quickly, but notice verse 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, the next two words say, loved him. You see, as the Lord Jesus looked at this young, rich ruler who was religious and had everything that you could ever want in this life, and he was out of breath from his desperate attempt to earn his way to eternal life, Jesus looked at him with love. See, look, Jesus loves us no matter what our condition is. He loves us. He loves the rich, and he loves the poor. He loves us no matter how educated we are or are not. He loves us no matter which side of the tracks we grew up on. And uh, many times I wish I was on the east side of the railroad tracks so that I wouldn't have to face the trains like I did this morning. I had to go around the train this morning. I love that a test of my patience so he loves us uh, no matter what he loves you whether you root for the Oklahoma Sooners yes he does he also loves you if you root for the Oklahoma State Cowboys yes even those people God loves those who love college football more than hockey I can't believe it, but God does. God loves us no matter what. No matter how good-looking or bad-looking you think you are, it doesn't matter. God loves you. You are precious in His sight. In fact, He loves you so much that John 3.16 says that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's how much He loves us. He loves us despite our condition. He loved this man even though he had a knowledge of what this question in verse 21 was going to do, that he was going to leave grieved. So realize Jesus loves you despite your condition. Secondly, riches can be dangerous to your relationship with God. According to this passage in verses 23 through verse 27, let me read this very quickly here. Jesus looked around about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches... Enter into the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? He repeats it. He says, just in case you didn't get it, let me repeat it. To add emphasis. Verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished, out of measure, Saying among themselves, Well, then who then can be saved? Jesus, looking upon them, saith, Well, with men it is impossible, with not with God, with God all things are possible. Uh, Riches can be dangerous to your relationship with God. I saw it when I served in beautiful Orange County, California. When door knocking there in Newport Beach in the ports. Do you remember that, Julie? The ports. And then many times we'd go out into the oceanfront properties. And people there own these gorgeous homes. And uh, nine times out of ten, they usually had like a Mercedes Benz and a Beamer or an Audi in their, park, in their driveway or in their garage. These people, they had it all. So when a twerpy 25 year old kid comes up to their door with a gospel track, not interested. No thanks. They don't need God because they have everything they could want here on this earth. You go to uh, another country that doesn't have the affluence that we have. Seth, when he went to Uganda, was sharing about how people are hungry to hear the word of God there. And I've been on missions trips in Mexico where, where people don't have much, but they hang on every word because They don't have what this world has to offer, and riches can be dangerous to your relationship with God. It can hinder your realization that you need God. A young man came out of the Ozark Mountains in his early manhood with the firm purpose of making a fortune in gold. Gold became his God, and putting it first, he won it. He came to be worth millions of dollars. But then the crash came, and he was reduced to utter poverty. His reason tottered and fell along with his fortune. That's what happens to those who chase the almighty dollar. Very quickly, we're almost done here, but if you would take a moment and turn to First Timothy chapter 6. Because you see, it's not just dangerous for those who are not yet Christians. Riches can also be dangerous for Christians as well. Here's what 1 Timothy chapter 6 says in verse number 9. I know we know these verses, but just a reminder for us since we're here in Mark chapter 10, and Jesus points it out. 1 Timothy 6, 9 says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Those are powerful words. This isn't just like, hey, yeah, you might want to be careful. This is a tremendous, powerful warning here about uh, the danger of riches, even in our lives as believers. And then verse 10, of course, all of us know this, for the love of money is the root of all evil which while, and here's some examples here, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So we do need to indeed be careful and heed the warning of the word of God regarding money. I know we need money to live. I know we need money to eat and all of that. I get it. But when that becomes our focus and our emphasis, we are headed down a Very dangerous road where the end leads to sorrow and destruction, perdition, hurtful lusts, snare. So let's take heed to the word of God regarding the danger that riches are. And then thirdly, very quickly, lesson number three is to recognize that only God can save us. In verse 26, back in Mark 10, it says, They were astonished out of the measure and saying among themselves, Well, who then can be saved? If, if a rich man can't get in, into heaven, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man. How can we be saved? Who then can be saved? And this is a great truth here. Look, when it is imposs- with men it is impossible. It's impossible for men to enter into heaven on their own merit, through their own works, through their own effort. It's impossible but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Only God can save us. Only God can bring us to a point where we recognize our need for Him. I hope that perhaps there's somebody here today who uh, needs to come to that realization and hopefully God has brought you to that point. Only God can save us. Here's the deal. Today we've looked at a poor rich man. I would rather... Much rather be a rich poor man than to be a poor rich man. In other words, I would rather have what matters for eternity and lack the temporary riches than to have everything this world offers and lack a relationship with God. Jesus said it this way in Mark 8 36, and he put it a lot better than I could. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Let's make sure that we have eternal life. And then once we do, let's not get sidetracked and focus on gold rather than God. So this morning, if you're not saved today, when you die, it's not going to matter how rich you were on this earth, what your rank was, or how religious you were. What matters at that moment is what you did with Jesus Christ. So can I urge you to trust Him for your salvation today? For those who are saved, let's not chase gold. No, let's instead pursue a close relationship with our God and determine that we will spend our days making him known to those around us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the time together today. And Lord, help us to not desire to be poor, rich people. Because Lord, we are rich, worldly sense, in a worldly sense we are. But Lord, let's focus more on being a rich, poor person. Lord, I don't think anybody here wants to experience financial poverty. But far more important than financial prosperity is spiritual, a spiritual relationship with you. And Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know that they have a relationship with you, oh, I pray that you would draw them to yourself today. Help them to come to Christ. Help them like, like this man did to, to realize their need, to realize that they were missing something, to realize that there was one thing that they lack. And that's a relationship with you. And may they come running today to salvation, to the cross. And then, Lord, for those of us who are saved, help us, Lord, to, again, not get sidetracked with money and the things that are temporal. Help us, Lord, to set our affection on things above and not on things on the earth. And Lord, help us to make you known around to those around us as we go through our life. Our heads are bowed, eyes closed. Uh, Miss Pat's going to begin to play, and as she does, I want to invite you to have a time of prayer and decision there in your seat before we're dismissed. I think it's a mistake for us to hear and not do something about it. So today, let's do something. Let's make a decision about what we've heard.